Welcome to Private Club Radio, the industry's first and only program dedicated to education, news, events, trends and announcements. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. It's Memorial Day. You're probably working, which means I'm working. It's a very special edition of Private Club Radio. This episode's going to be a little different. It's a recap from the National Club Conference, which was an incredible conference put on in Chicago last weekend by the National Club Association. They had some pretty fantastic speakers there speaking on all sorts of topics from marketing to club governance and from legislative issues to legal concerns. There was a lot going on. It was jam-packed weekend. I literally did not get a break for two days straight. We were shuffling from one great event to another, from the Chicago Club to the Union League Club of Chicago, the Standard Club of Chicago, the Chicago Yacht Club. It was pretty much wall-to-wall activities and action. It was really a great time. Just a fantastic host city, Chicago, and their clubs were. And I really want to give a big thanks to the staff of the NCA, and especially Cindy Vizza, who invited Private Club Radio up to their conference to give you a taste If you weren't there, what you missed. And I hope that you consider joining and attending this conference in 2017. It was an amazing time. If you're a club manager or the COO of a private club, this is an event that you must attend. So I hope to see you in 2017. I know I will be there because it was just that good. So on this show, we're going to sort of recap some of the sessions for you. I'm going to give you my highlights. I took copious notes during these sessions. And I'm going to bring on and interview some of the speakers that were there, such as Kevin Vitale, who is the GM and COO of Baltus Rawl, Frank Vane, who's the president of the McMahon Group, Henry Delosier, partner at Global Golf Advisors, Tom Benison, senior vice president of business development at Club Corp, and Jim Hankowski, partner at Condon, O'Meara, McGinty, and Donnelly. So we've pretty much got an all-star lineup for you on this Memorial Day Monday. Now, before we get to the recap and bring on these fabulous guests, I want to tell you about some exciting changes to our website. The first is you can now vote for the show topic that you'd like to hear. If there is a specific topic that you want to hear on Private Club Radio, simply go to privateclubradio.com slash vote, and you can either choose from one of the options there or write in one of your own subject topics that you'd like to hear. This show is getting a little bit more democratic. My goal is to bring you the education and the knowledge that you want for yourself and for your club that's going to further your career. So tell me about the topic you want to hear. I'm going to search out the number one expert in the field and get them on this show for you. So once again, it's privateclubradio.com slash vote. The second thing which I'm really excited about on privateclubradio.com is that we're now offering some really specific education for you in the private club industry. The first topic we're going to be covering is marketing to millennials. So for a couple of years now, I've been developing this education piece, which I'm going to be presenting in Florida at the Florida Club Summit and in Thailand later this year at the Asia Pacific Golf Summit. But I recognize that you may not be able to attend one of those events. So I want to make it as accessible as possible. 
So the Marketing to Millennial session is going to happen on July 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. By the way, I know marketing is a dirty word in the private club industry, but I promise I am going to show you some ways that even if you're a 501c7 nonprofit, you can still do some what I call dark marketing. Millennials are really a hot topic in the private club industry because forward-thinking clubs really recognize that in as short as 10 years, they're going to really be the future of the private club membership. If you can't attract millennials, you may be shutting your doors. And that's a sad and sorry thing to have to say, but it's just the truth. So I want clubs to be prepared. And I've developed this education session to do that for clubs. Here are some of the things you're going to learn. We're going to discover the driving motivations of millennials, really figure out what makes them tick. You're going to learn how to best communicate and market your club to this generation. We'll cover the ways that your club can build habit-forming behaviors for this age group, and that's the holy grail of this age group is habit-forming behaviors. I'm going to teach you why their biggest motivators, like the fear of missing out, can be your biggest asset. And I'm going to tell you what your club can do today to start winning new millennial members. My goal in this is to give you 10 times the value that you're going to invest in this program. If you want to sign up, it's only $49. You can do this at privateclubradio.com slash millennials and get registered. Once again, that's Monday, July 25th. It's going to be 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. I hope to see you there. So now getting back to the National Club Association's National Club Conference, I want to bring on our first guest, who is Kevin Vitali. Kevin is the GM and COO of Baltusrol, and he's also the NCA secretary. Now, one of the main issues that was discussed a lot during the conference was the new overtime rule that the Department of Labor had just announced. Now, if you don't know much about the rule... Brad Steele did a great job laying it out during the conference, but if you weren't there, what the rule basically states is that in order to be exempt from overtime pay, an employee must be making $913 a week. And in terms of an annual salary, that basically breaks out to $47,476. That is now the magic number. And any salaried employees of your club making below that number are now required to receive overtime pay. That, of course, puts a big monkey wrench in the operations of a lot of your private clubs and, of course, your budgets, because a lot of your employees are probably making under that threshold. So that's a huge issue right now. And I talked to Kevin about that, as well as what it's like to put on a major golf championship at your club. Here's the interview. Kevin, welcome. Thank you, Gabe. So uh, how are you enjoying the conference so far? It's been great. I love Chicago. I was really excited uh, to get out here. Uh, We've held the conference here before. It's just a great city. And I love the idea of all the city clubs participating on it. So it's, it's been good. Excellent. We've had a couple sessions to this point in the conference. Any key takeaways that you've had? Well, I think uh, it's, it's all good news. Uh, clubs are starting to uh, thrive again. Uh, they've uh, been able to adapt to their members' values more uh, and be more creative. Uh, so I just think that uh, we're uh, on the uh, uptick in the private club industry, uh, and uh, that's a good sign. Perfect. So you are, like we mentioned, the NCA secretary. What are some of the current advocacy issues that are happening in the industry? 
Well, there's a lot going on. As you know, uh, Washington is front and center in everybody's mind. Uh, there's election at hand. Uh, there's uh, contention of, of who uh, is going to be occupying the White House. Uh, but it's clear over the last uh, several years, uh, executive orders have been something that we've all had to deal with. Um, and that just uh, is not the normal process on what the government and how the government should work. Right. Uh, and uh, how it's affected clubs. Uh, so I don't think we're the target, uh, but uh, we have been affected by uh, some of these um, executive orders. Uh, and clearly the one that just came down uh, on the overtime ruling is something that a really private club in the industry is really going to have to spend some time on and figure out on how to uh, take this ruling and make the adjustments on our operations. So this came from the Department of Labor, and can you tell folks just a little bit about the ruling and how it actually affects clubs? Sure. Uh, the, the ruling really is an overtime ruling on salary employees. Uh, first of all, the guidelines on if you even qualify uh, to be a salary employee, uh, and then it it really uh, changes, first of all, the rate uh, from $24,000 to $25,000 to close to $48,000, uh, and also uh, in overtime um, and how they get paid. And I, I think that they, um, one of the concerns is that they really didn't put a, enough emphasis on other ways they get paid, uh, particularly if it's commission. Uh, or its lessons uh, or things of that nature. Um, the, the ruling gives a 10% factor. And in our industry, golf professionals, tennis professionals, um, uh, spa operations, a lot of that's based on usage. And they get a good portion of lesson money and things of that nature. Sure. So we're gonna have to figure out how to make that work. The other thing that we're concerned about is we're a great avenue to bring people in the business uh, right out of college, give them the experience, the knowledge, and the ability to grow and start a career. Um, that's going to be a different decision now that it's closer to $50,000 on sure. how many opportunities you're going to be able to give people like that. Mm -hmm. And also from a, a, just a respect level, um, telling people now that they're going to be an hourly rate, you have to tie in overtime that hourly dollar amount might be a lot lower than somebody anticipates. Sure. Are there any other issues uh, in the private club industry that people should be concerned about or should uh, keep their eyes open for? Well, the WOTUS ruling uh, is something which is really uh, a, a ruling that has to uh, uh, directly affect your water usage uh, and who governs that water usage right. and controls it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is going to be something uh, that hasn't fully come to a full fruition at this point, but that clearly will be something that will be affecting golf courses uh, in the usage of the uh, water and, and how you have, have to regulate that. Uh, right. So that is something that um, down the road uh, is something that we're really concerned about. And again, uh, through executive order, I just don't think that they've uh, gone through the process that they need of saying, how is this really affecting several industries, including us. Sure. So can you tell listeners, if they're not familiar with the National Club Association, um, what are some of the ways that the National Club Association actually works on behalf of private clubs across the country? Well, again, I think the National Club Association is the association for private clubs that stresses advocacy 
uh, for clubs. So we have a, a lobbyist uh, component of National Club Association uh, for that. Uh, we're on the Hill, uh, and we really look uh, forward to protecting uh, and having a voice uh, for private clubs, uh, specifically on things that affect how clubs can operate. Uh, it also is a, um, uh, a component of, um, of board members uh, and how boards operate, uh, best practices and principles uh, for uh, governance uh, and how clubs, um, best practices on how clubs operate. Perfect. Um, so how much longer is your term as secretary? <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that, Gabe. Uh, in three days, I've become vice chair. Great. And to be truthful, I had to take a step back. Uh, uh, Baltic Shaw's hosting the um, 2016 PGA Championship, and my rotation to chair was actually going to be the same year. Oh, wow. Uh, and it, I just w couldn't handle the um, both responsibilities and commitments. Okay. So I took a step back, and... Um, uh, in three days, I become vice chair, and then the following year, I'll become chairman. Okay, so perfect. that works a little bit better from a calendar <laughs> perspective. Absolutely. So, speaking of the PGA Championship, what's involved for managers that aren't really aren't aware of having a tournament, much less a major tournament, at their club? What's what's involved in that? Well, we're fortunate at Baltistral that this has always been part of our brand. Uh, so uh, this will be our 17th major. Uh, we will have hosted more majors than any other club in the country. Uh, we'll be equal with Oakmont, who's hosting as well this year. Uh, so it's part of our brand. Uh, as a member coming in, you know, uh, every 12 to 15 years, we will be hosting a major. Uh, it, it does get bigger. Uh, the scope gets larger. Uh, the demand gets greater. Uh, but for us, um, it, it's every 12 to 15 years, you're doing something a little bit different. Uh, it's great to work with the PGA. Uh, we're excited about it. Uh, we love the new golfers that are coming into it. Uh, they, they really um, are, are making a change, and um, in, in the um, golf world seems to be excited for that. Right. Uh, we're right in the middle of um, the construction mode, uh, so they're building the chalets and putting the roadways and the compounds on as we speak. Uh, Gabe, that's when it gets real, when <laughs> when when you, they start building things on your golf course. Right. How much uh, control do you have of that? Are you overseeing uh, that, or they're just taking over? The, the um, it's, it's a partnership. Mm -hmm. uh, so the floor plan for that um, has been worked on. They, they were on property for about two and a half years uh, before the championship. Uh, so that is a partnership. Uh, but then once you get this close to it, the infrastructure just starts taking over. Uh, sure. So the vendors come in, that that's just, this is all they do. Mm -hmm. um, and really it's, it's uh, something that uh, at this point, all those decisions have been made. Um, and now you just hope it all fits where uh, everything's <laughs> sure. supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, what are any unique challenges that, uh, that arise when these things come into town? Well, I tell you, I was there in 05 when we did the last one. Uh, and there's clearly some changes from 05. Uh, it's bigger, mm -hmm. uh, they need more space. Uh, the media just keeps on growing on that. <laughs> yep. So there's going to be over 200 affiliates on property. Uh, and just to give you uh, a, a barometer on that, 216, there was 50 in 05. Uh, so, it, you know, it really is something that, that's worldwide. Um, 56 countries will be televising the championship uh, for that. 
Um, and uh, so it's just getting bigger, more exposure uh, as um, communications expand and technology expands. Um, it does affect something like a, like a major. Interesting. Uh, last question then, kind of related to that. You, you, as a private club, how do you handle that when you have so much light being shown on a club, yet you have a private membership that probably likes its privacy in some ways? It's a little give and take for a year. Mm -hmm. um, when you expose yourself something to a major, you have to understand that your brand is out there a little bit more. Sure. Um, and so I think you look at it differently. Uh, you're a lot more transparent. Uh, but it's you try to keep it focused in the game of golf, focused on hosting that major, uh, and I, I think you just change your philosophy for that point in time. You have to. You don't have much of a choice, right. so you might, you might as well make it as positive as you can. Uh, and really what it comes down to with all this work, again, they've been on property for two and a half years. Um, we've been working on the golf course to get it into major chase for over three years. Gabe, it comes down, you really want good weather that week uh, <laughs> sure. in a great leaderboard. Right. Well, I guess if it rains, though, you might have an extra day. <laughs> well, you know, rain <laughs> TV, right? Rain means um, uh, that they'll hold the greens more sure. and uh, scores will, will get better. So right. you just want nice weather, great right. leaderboard, um, and uh, hopefully that will happen. So from your perspective, is it better to have a, a low-scoring tournament or a higher-scoring tournament? Oh, you, you want the, the golf course to compete. Yeah. Uh, so selfishly, you want uh, <laughs> yeah. the golf course to be more difficult and more okay. challenging. Yeah. You want the um, USGA to grow that rough? A little bit yeah. <laughs> uh, on that. And the rough's growing as we speak, okay. so our members have to deal with that yeah. uh, uh, this year. But you want it to be competitive, uh, but you certainly want it to be something that uh, delivers... Uh, something to the golf world where the viewers are really happy uh, on the presentation as well. Have you, um, there's a big shift in the private club industry right now with uh, moving to families and, and children, kind of taking the focus, um, fitness facilities, things like that. Are you able to maintain the golf focus there? And how are you doing that? Yeah, we're a little bit different in that. Uh, we're, we're a golf club, we're not a country club. But I also can tell you, absolutely, our junior programs have, uh, have exploded. We do have fitness on the property uh, more. More kids' programs come into it. They're welcomed at the club. Um, our teaching programs are stronger. And, and I can tell you, we're producing some phenomenal junior golfers through this, both boys and girls. On yeah. it. So it, it's really been a positive. Excellent. So how do folks find out more about Baltus Roll? Uh, our website. You can go on it. Uh, there's a public part of that website. And happy for them to go on it and see what we're all about. And you can see what the PGA is doing. So more than happy to go on the public avenue of the website. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me and enjoy the rest of the conference. Great, great having you. Thank you. So as you probably heard, that interview was so good that I ran long and we actually had the conference starting as uh, we were wrapping things up there. Now, the next session of the day was best practices for member communications. And this session was really intriguing. It was moderated by Frank Vane. He's the president of the McMahon Group. The panel included Jeff McFadden, GM and COO of the Union League of Philadelphia. It had representatives from the Baltimore Country Club and from the Country Club in Massachusetts. Some of my takeaways included the fact that a lot of clubs are now starting to use Instagram very heavily in their member communications, kind of telling members what's going on at the club or what events are coming up. They're doing so through Instagram. I believe it was the Baltimore Country Club 
who talked about using Snapchat, which is an emerging social media network. And I was very intrigued that they were using that platform. Generally, that platform has been used for reaching sort of the younger generations. But Baltimore Country Club seemed to have a lot of success using that. And what was very interesting is the Union League of Philadelphia, they have some pretty fantastic and wild, you might say, technology at the club. The first being that they have their own internal Uber and Uber being the ride sharing service. They have their own ride sharing service for the members. And in addition to that, they have a proprietary mobile application that members install on their phones if they want to that will alert staff when they're within a mile and a half or so of the club. And I assume the reason they're using that is so that they can be there to welcome the member when they walk through the doors or be prepared for that member. I'm sure there's some other uses, but I'd like to actually get Jeff on this program for a little bit of a more in-depth interview about his technology. But right now we're going to bring on Frank Vane, who was the moderator. And as I mentioned before, is the president of the McMahon Group. We talked about his session as well as Ray Cronin's session from Club Benchmarking, who you heard a couple weeks ago on this program. And the McMahon Group puts out a publication co-authored with the National Club Association called Club Trends. It is a wonderful quarterly magazine that they put out. And since I had Frank in front of me, I thought we would discuss some club trends as well. So here is Frank. Frank, uh, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, great to be at the club conference here and enjoying Chicago. Yeah, give us some of your uh, takeaways from some of the early sessions today. Well, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, that we uh, talked a lot about communications was a big part of the uh, of the day. And, you know, everybody's, you know, sort of wrestling with IT and technology and, uh, and uh, how to use all the various tools out there that are available today to connect effectively with their membership. And so that was, uh, that was very helpful. And then uh, really enjoyed, uh, the, you know, the club benchmarking presentation, a lot of great data on clubs and really bringing a, uh, a more rigorous business, you know, statistical focus to what we do in the club world. And so that was good to see. And that's just another thing that just shows how the industry is evolving and the kind of things that are taking place. So it's been, a, it's been a very good day. That's right. Now, the McMahon Group is involved in lots of different strategic consulting for clubs. Can you tell listeners a little bit about uh, what you guys do? Yeah, we've, we've spent the last 30 years, I mean, really trying to understand the club business, too, and, you know, benchmarking, doing it from the statistical side. We, we kind of do it from the consumer side. You know, what are the members really looking for? And uh, uh, really a, a parallel experience to raise when we when we got in the business 30 years ago it was originally sort of go around the country and do national clubhouse architecture, right? That was sort of the basic focus of the club. Right. Often we'd get to a club and we'd start to sort of interview them as you would in anybody when you're trying to design something for them. And there was automatically this sort of resistance or skepticism that was kind of, you know, well, we're different, we're unique. Um, and then same thing, we'd say, well, <laughs> what kind of, you know, what are your problems or what are your challenges? What would you like to do? And yeah. it would be very similar to what the club 500 miles away told the day before, you sure. know, so uh, so that's when we really started that publication called McMahon's Club Trends that really said, you know, you, you have your own culture, you have characteristics of your club that are going to make you special and different, but you know, you're not unique in the fact that you're a social organization and society you know, values different things at different times and that's been the big change and again, when they can start to embrace and say, oh, well, geez, okay, I guess people do want casual dining, they do, do want fitness, They, you know, these are things that they're doing 
and they're pervasive trends in society. How do we deal with them at our club? That's really what we're trying to trying to wrestle with, you know. That topic's been on the forefront. Uh, Jeff Morgan from CMA was uh, talking about it, and a few people have mentioned that today, that club problems from uh, one club in one part of the world to another part of the world are very similar. They are, because, you know, it's society, right? We do, we're, we're you know, I mean, people, you have the common bond of, you know, people are interested in being together and socializing and all that, but then just things like health, fitness, and wellness. I mean, a lot of times clubs are confused. We start talking about health and fitness, and they say, well, there's a fitness center down the street. Well, you know, that's that. we're not trying to solve for the lack of fitness. We're trying to apply the fact that people value fitness and, you know, and want to enjoy it and use it. Why wouldn't we seize the opportunity as a club to have them do it right here at our club? Mm-hmm. And then they can do it in an environment where it's safe and secure, and the people that they're working out with are part of the club and part of the membership family and those sorts of things, you know. So, again, the reticence and the, you know, the perception sometimes by the, the, the club leaders is either from that unique perspective or that something's available out there from a consumer standpoint, so we ought to let them have it. Our attitude is why let them defect? Why let your members go somewhere else right. when, when, in fact, when they want that activity, we could, you know, we could very well supply it for them, you know. Sure, absolutely. So I'm looking at your website here. Um, some of the things you guys consult on, strategic planning, uh, facility planning, dining enhancements, gated communities, specialty consulting. That, that's a pretty wide range of topics. Uh, is there anything that you specifically focus on? Well, the, not, you know, strategic planning and, and, and long-range planning. I mean, I think the discipline we tried to bring to the club world from day one was, uh, uh, particularly, as I said, as an outgrowth of an architectural background, was the the, 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 the clubs often, you know, uh, they, they approach projects as kind of a one-off project. You know, let's renovate this room or renovate that right. room. And, and, and again, f- often failed to have that conversation about, well, what's our strategy? What are we trying to accomplish? You know, and so if we want to be a more family-oriented in a club is that is that what we want or do we want to be more whatever adult or golf centric or whatever it is you, you need to have that conversation first sure and that conversation needs to be informed by data you know mm-hmm. again what do your members want what what kind of area do you live in what's your competition you know those sorts of things and uh, and so we've tried to with the strategic planning to help them work through those kinds of decisions because again as you've heard here today on a theme I mean many people are well-meaning and they're well-intentioned they get on a club board they frankly don't think about the clubs as a business. They don't. They don't know a lot of the different metrics. They 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 know about the club as a member, and the politics and their particular experience as a club member. But they're they're not thinking about it as part of an industry, you know. And when they start to again understand demographic factors and travel times and all those sorts of things, understand the different amenities that are out there and people are using, then you know that that informs your strategy and that ultimately then informs your long range plan, you know. So. The strategic planning is the basis of what we try and get these boards to get their their, their grip on and uh, really have a good sense of where they're going. And get you know and start moving in the same direction. You know, it's a uh, uh, we've heard here again today. Again, the rotation of board leaders makes it difficult. That you know, how do we go in a consistent direction? We get a new president every year. We get you know three or four new board members every year. The boards need to take that time to reflect on who they are, where they want to go, and the things that they have to do. Having done that, then you can be in a good position. And frankly, there you know, there's all these great managers who are here today. If, if a board gives them that 
clarity and that mission says, this is what we want to do, well, you've got professionals who can come back to you then and say, these are the resources I need, these are the facilities I need, these are the programs we're going to put in place to achieve your vision, right? Absolutely. And, and that's often the missing discussion, and a lot of times the boards are considered micromanagers, the managers might be considered ineffective, and the missing link is they fail to sit around the table and come to a level of agreement about what they're trying to accomplish. Sure. And, you know, and it's not, it's not an undue criticism, it's, it's, it's the environment, again, with this rotation leadership is part of that and and you've got to take those steps to work through that and get yourself in position to use board retreats and board orientations and strategy sessions and all those sorts of things to get as, as sustainable a plan as you can in a in a what's a fairly fluent environment yeah absolutely now let's kind of shift gears here into sort of club trends course working with so many clubs around the country you guys are probably tracking all sorts of data and right. seeing different things happen what are some of the top trends that you see well, I think first and foremost, you'd have to put in, the, you know, in, in uh, uh, if you think about from the country club segment in particular, actually all clubs, I would really say, you know, it's the whole casual lifestyle sort of trend, particularly as that sure. relates to dining mm-hmm. and, and clubs. And, and, and the message we're trying to express today is for clubs to really think about their dining and, and their food and beverage outlet as the, your, your competition is, members aren't going out tonight and deciding, should I go to this club or that club? It's, should I go to the club or should you go to some cool place down the street? Right. Right. And, and, and they've got to wake up to what their competition is and what their competitive set is. And that, you know, you need to call out, you know, and call their attention to the club and have the cool pub or the outdoor dining area. We went over to lunch today at the Chicago uh, club. That was beautiful. Beautiful. You know, great old traditional Terrace club. was looking yeah. over the uh, Lake Michigan. You could see the city on one side, Shoulder Field on the other. It was beautiful. Right. Yeah. Rooftop dining, right? So, I mean, here's a venerable old club. That roof has been sitting there for many, many years, and and now they've kind of connected the dots. So, boy, that's a fun, casual spot there. I understand tonight over at that club, there's going to be a lot of young people out on that terrace, right? And mm-hmm. and, and that competes with anything else you're going to want to find in Chicago here as part of it. So, so really sort of re-engineering, rethinking their whole dining experience from uh, uh, menu, healthy foods is all, all part of it, the look and feel of the space, and, and really view their F&B as as a way to cause members to gather and socialize. And I think that's one of the big ones. You really want to respond to that indoor and outdoor casual dining, family dining, and cool spots that you can create, like a rooftop dining setting there. What other facilities are you seeing? Uh, I know a lot of clubs are building out their fitness facilities. Yeah, that's, and yeah I, you have to put that in the next category. Uh, I, and actually, before I get the fitness, though, because uh, often that's a diversification, and, and, and mm-hmm. I just always have had a philosophy, before we get diversified, we ought to be real good at what what we, you know, what we already have, you know, and so we usually look to pools pretty quickly, the whole aquatics okay. and swimming environment yep. next, um, just because many clubs have them. And, and again, these, the, the expectations have changed at the pool environment today. It's not so much about the water itself, right? We've got a, a 25-yard lap pool or whatever it may be, and you might have some water features like play areas, spray spray grounds and all that, but it's, it's this whole resort-style pool complex. It might, have its, it might have a bar for adults, mm-hmm. you know, as part of that it might have the spray ground for I like kids. a swim up bar myself <laughs> yeah there you go uh you know uh, uh you know modernizing the locker rooms again often those sure. are kind of some rough areas at clubs uh, expanding the deck area putting an additional shade again resort style seating is all part of that uh, it's amazing the amount the clubs are investing in the in in their swim facilities and the 
But the advantage of that is it's right in the sweet spot for the joiner. I mean, particularly if you look at the country club, right? The average joiner is a 40, 42-year-old family couple, a couple children. You know, if they if they can find 90 days of summer where that club is kind of a vacation right here in town. And by the way, somebody in the family probably wants to play golf or they want to, you know, have, right. have friends and, and, and raise their kids in a club environment. An investment in a pool goes a, goes a long way. So uh, we, we say, and, and fine, the data shows us, you know, you want to attract new young members, spruce up that pool, you know, really make it a fun spot. And that'll, that'll, that'll pay some real dividends. Um, the fitness is certainly next on that list and, uh, uh, fitness works great. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a funny, a funny aspect of that as we often think of investing in the fitness because again, we want to attract new young members, right? Frankly, you do that. It's all the baby boomers who go to that fitness yeah. center. You know, uh, again, they're comfortable. It's good though. It's intimate. Mm-hmm. It's smaller. It's you know, they're they didn't they didn't grow up in an environment that says you know let's go to the big lifetime fitness and work out in yeah. some mega gym. Right. They can come to the club and there's ten of us in the room. It's it's intimate. The staff knows my name. You know, all that sort of thing. Senior members who again are not comfortable in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly they can go in at you know ten o'clock in the morning and there's a couple people in the fitness center and get a nice workout, you know, so, and, and the big things that we see with the fitness is the, uh, the big offshoot and the benefit clubs tell us about having successful fitness is the socialization. You create a whole new social network for people and they enjoy those relationships that they get out of that. Um, and the trends there are, uh, again, more about classrooms and group activities. So, uh, again, I, we say, you know, if 10 or 15 members, maybe spouses, go to a yoga class or a, an aerobics class. I can tell you, somebody's going to say, what are you guys doing for dinner on Friday night? Or, you know, are your kids in the junior golf program or, you know, it's just a way for people to connect and, and, and have benefits. So we, we see the, we really say our, our materials talk a lot about, uh, you know, golf to a large extent drew the, you know, drove the country clubs of the, of, uh, of the last couple of decades. Fitness is a big driver of the country club of the future. There, right. There's no doubt about it. And it's, again, it's a combination of those forces. And for the young people, they just expect it to be, you know, what they, what they see happening. And as we talk about capital developments, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, while generally we have a theme of you know, golf plays decline, fewer people playing golf, all that. They are practicing more, and they're actually training for golf. So you're seeing these golf performance centers being built that mm-hmm. are year-round areas where you can hit balls into a net, into a screen. Uh, simulators can be part of that uh, that experience. And even if these people aren't playing as many 18-hole rounds, they want to have the right equipment. They want to sure. be fitted. They want to use technology hit balls off track man and other, you know, sort of systems that way and uh, really give them the latest of what they need to be a, a you know, a, a, a good golfer. And so we really see practice, fitness, and training related to golf taking over in the golf world. And you still have a great course, but, you know, again, sprucing up the practice facilities, adding these year-round training areas, which both that and fitness are big ones, uh, which really uh, extend the season. And what we are consistent theme we hear from members is, you know, I pay dues on a 12-month basis. Where's my 12-month value? Yeah, right. You know, what, what's exactly. up with the club being sort of dormant in January, February, March? There's, right. there's no law that says that has to be the case, <laughs> exactly. you know? And, uh, and so some smart investments that way. And if you've got people coming out to the club in February, March to work out or hit balls or those sorts of things, they're getting a, they're getting a dividend on that dues payment, you know? So Absolutely. we really see the capital and, you know, eventually you, you, you have to invest the capital to create these programs. Right. 
and it gives you those spaces where you can create new energy, new activities, and, and all of that, and that just begets more, more activity, more membership. So clubs that want to work with the man group, how do they reach out and how do they engage your firm? Well, the general way is to say we're on the, on the internet, of course. Uh, uh, we have uh, several reports that they can access, the club trends. We have uh, another report that they can sign up called, uh, called the McMahon Report, uh, which comes out on a uh, bi-monthly uh, basis. Um, we actually offer clubs what we call first impressions visit which we think is a great program for them. One of our principals will come out, pretty much spend the day at the club, meet with management, get an understanding of the club, tour around, look at the facilities, and then ultimately end up meeting with the board that day, give a presentation about what are the trends in clubs, what's happening out there, and talk about, again, their duty and their opportunities as planners and leaders for the club as to what they can uh, do. Uh, we send back a written report as to what we saw and heard, no obligation to work with McMahon. We do ask to be reimbursed for travel expenses. I, I, I've never heard anybody say that that was anything but a great deal. Um, and it's the chance for them to get a, uh, you know, somebody experienced in clubs has seen a lot of clubs on campus for the day, get a written report, and it often just plants those seeds among the directors to start to say, yeah, this is what we ought to be doing. And they can work with us, they can work with other people in the field, but I think they'll be smarter for what's happening in the club world. They'll start to focus on, you know, strategy and they'll start to focus on long-range planning and that can be nothing but good for any club that's out there. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me today. Great, Gabe. Thanks. It. Good to be Enjoy with the you. Rest Thanks, of the conference. Enjoy. Thank you. So as you heard, the interview went a little long again. That's just what happens when you get these great, knowledgeable folks in front of you. You don't want to let them go. Just like my next guest, Henry Delosier, partner at Global Golf Advisors. Henry was the moderator of the session titled How to Survive and Thrive with Changes in Leadership. So I wanted Henry to give us a recap of that session. And I also wanted to cover what he saw as the trends in club governance. And Henry actually joined me post-conference over the phone. So here is Henry's interview. Henry, welcome to Private Club Radio. Thank you, Gabe. It's a pleasure to join you. And we were just talking about your excellent, excellent panel discussion that you moderated. It was how to survive and thrive with changes in leadership. Can you give folks a little bit of a background on that and some of your takeaways from that session? Wasn't that a fun discussion? It absolutely uh, you was. Know, panelists, for those who were not present, the, the panelists were uh, Michael Bruni, a former director at the Olympia Fields Country Club in suburban Chicago, uh, Bruce D'Angelo, the standing president at Medina Country Club in Chicago, um, Michael Seabrook, who uh, is the CEO general manager at the historic Bell Mead Country Club in Nashville, Tennessee, his president, Bert Dale, um, who is, as I said, is his sitting president. And then um, rounding out the group is Kirk Reese, who has tremendous country club experience, having managed the L.A. Country Club out on the West Coast and is currently executive vice president at Dennehy Club Thinking Partners. So it was a great group. We talked a lot about the impacts of changes in leadership on private clubs. And that gave us a chance to talk a little bit about some lessons learned from each of those men and their service to the club, as well as some best practices that, that they could recommend as a result of their experience. Yeah. Were there any nuggets or just some golden advice? If there's one you know, big tip that you took away, what would it be? 
I felt that the that the real nuggets that came from these people was that clubs prosper when their leaders engage in deliberate planning. Every every one of the panelists, in one way or another, talked about the amount of time and effort they put in to the plan that their club is using and how they implement that plan in a consistent and effective manner. The other takeaway that I thought was just as impactful as strategic planning was the significance of disciplined governance in the clubs. You know, we we live in a time now where club members expect their club to be governed like a successful business. Right. Exactly. And I think so often they're not, which is strange because it's generally the board is made up of business leaders. <laughs> so it's Yes. And and the irony on that is sometimes terrific business leaders who run banks and corporations and other professional organizations of great success get to the club and for some reason or another stop thinking of it as a business and instead thinking of it in the emotional context of their club. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about your business, Global Golf Advisors. What are some of the things that you guys are focusing on right now? Well, Global Golf Advisors is a company that's been in business since 1992. In fact, it's the largest consulting firm in the world that specializes entirely in golf-related businesses. About 60-70% of our work is in fine private clubs, and the bulk of that activity is focused in really three categories. One is the all-encompassing or the all-enveloping premise of strategic planning. We have had the privilege of developing strategic plans for hundreds of private clubs in North America. Um, The second thing we see a lot of in these troubled times and coming out of that recessionary cycle was a lot of clubs that began to question their operational model and their operational efficiencies. Mm -hmm. So we spend a good deal of time with boards and club leaders in analyzing their operational methods and models to be sure that they're buying right, selling right, pricing properly, and using all the business business metrics that make a board well-informed. And then the third category of our activity where we spend a great deal of time because it's so vitally important is in governance. You know, um, the famous quote attributed to Peter Drucker is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. (laughs) And the matter is in a private club, culture is governance. How the club conducts its business, how the club disciplines its members, what standards the club imposes on its members. Those are the things that go to culture and are all carried on the back of governance. I like the way you put that. What are some of the trends in governance that you're seeing emerge? Oh, there are several that jump right off the page at you. The first is the shrinking size of club boards. Uh, Currently, in fact, our most recent survey of top clubs showed that the average board size is 9.2, and that is down from over 11 only three years ago. So a steady and progressive decline in the number of people participating on boards. Another important change that we are seeing is um, that most clubs are now opting to make the term of office for the president of the club a two-year term up from one year. And over 8% of the club 
that responded to our survey indicated that they have now gone to a two-year term. And and the reasons are so obvious, um, and that certainly came up in our panel discussion in in, the, in Chicago at NCA, and that was about the time a good president really starts learning how to do his or her job, their term is up. Right. So you know, club leadership becomes so so much more effective when the sitting president has the time and capability to really start to implement their understanding of the club. I've heard it mentioned a few times as well that sometimes clubs will actually have uh, it's mandatory that they've served on the board for a certain amount of years before they can then become the incoming president. Uh, And basically when all is said and done, they've been on the board for maybe as much as nine years before they actually become a president and boards that operate that way seem to run a lot better. Is that your experience as well? Yes. And Gabe, that came out in the panel discussion of leader club leaders in Chicago as well. And that was, Having the opportunity to observe your fellow members in committee service to the club and board service to the club over an extended period of time helps everyone to become better acquainted. And frankly, it helps to reveal the people who are going to genuinely be dedicated to the things that are best for the club versus the things that simply are their favorite topic or pet project. So um, extended service to the club is a great way of finding out the capabilities of any given group of club leaders. Well said, Henry. So last thing I want to ask you about is your company's support of the National Club Association at such a high level. What do you love about this organization? Well, first and foremost, we believe deeply in the importance of club managers. Uh, We believe that that is a worthy profession, and we certainly respect the role of servant leadership, the club managers, and then the directors of the clubs undertake in service to their fellow members. You know, the capability of, of servant leadership is one that demands tremendous giving, tremendous generosity of spirit, and tremendous discipline in terms of being able to remain focused on the mission and vision of the club. So in any way that we can support the National Club Association, its member clubs, and its and their managers, we're going to find every opportunity that we can to do so. And if listeners would like to engage with your firm, how should they go about that? Our website is globalgolfadvisors.com, and it's an opportunity for you to see who we are, what we do, and to get a sense of the reach of our company. We're, our home office is in Toronto. I manage our office in Phoenix, Arizona. We also have an office in Dublin, Ireland. We serve over 2,700 clients around the world, so there's a lot to learn and to see about us when you visit our website, which I hope people will do. Globalgolfadvisors.com. Thank you so much, Henry. It's my pleasure. Thank you. A lot of the conference was focused on sort of the state of the industry. And we can't talk about the state of the industry without talking about the state of our world and how it's changed so drastically. Jeff Morgan really put it best when he talked about VUCA. So Jeff Morgan, CEO of the CMAA, in his session describes VUCA as volatility, uncertainty, complexity, 
and ambiguity. And this is the state of the world that we live in. But this is not necessarily just a dire state. It's just the state we find ourselves in. And if clubs can adapt, if they can evolve, if they can learn to do things differently, they're actually put themselves on a trajectory for success. And there were some great examples, a few that I've given to you on this show already, of clubs that are taking a next step into the future and starting to evolve. And so in my opinion, and the opinion of a lot of others at the conference is that this industry is really poised for a renaissance because there are leaders, thought leaders, and business leaders in this industry moving it forward. So I brought on my next guest to ask him about the state of the industry as he sees it. I was joined by Tom Benison, Senior Vice President of Business Development at Club Corp. Uh, Tom, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Gabe. Glad to be here. I just want to get a little bit of the state of the club industry as you see it from your perspective. Well, from Club Corp's perspective, we are really bullish on the private club industry. Uh, you know, we've been exclusively engaged in the um, ownership and management of private clubs for almost 60 years now. And um, you know, we have uh, we continue to to uh, see and realize great, very favorable, very positive trends within our clubs. Um, if you pay attention to our earnings releases, uh, we just released another uh, quarter of record results, and uh, we're achieving that through reinventing our clubs. We've deployed a tremendous amount of uh, reinvention capital to our clubs since 2007, uh, which has been a real game changer for our members, and uh, we continue to grow through acquisitions and we continue to grow through members who require additional optional uh, products and services like our one optimal network experiences benefit. So Mm -hmm. we're really bullish on the private club industry. Let's talk about those reinventions a little bit. I've seen them in Tampa. Uh, Explain Mm -hmm. to listeners who maybe don't know what a reinvention is, what actually goes goes on in that process. Well, back in 2009, when the world was admittedly much different than it was today, uh, we spent over a million dollars on research. Um, to try to understand what the next generation of club members uh, was really looking for in these clubs. Uh, We paired research associates and Club Corp executives and studied the uh, lifestyle and the behavior of 90 different families, 30 of whom were members of Club Corp clubs, 30 who were resigned members of Club Corp clubs, and 30 of whom were prospects in Club Corp clubs. And what we learned was that members were looking for a different experience, and they were really looking for a great price-value relationship. And we've been able to achieve that through reinvention, Uh, reinvention being both the physical changes that you see in the club, contemporizing these clubs, creating a lot more energy around dining, both inside and out. Um, you know, our food and beverage establishments today where we've completed reinventions are so different than they were pre-reinvention. They're just not your daddy's country club of 30 years ago. Right. And that's what our members have been telling us that they want to see. Mm-hmm. And outdoor dining is uh, at a premium. And then one, the ability to um, buy an optional upgrade product and, and enjoy a home club benefit that offers 50% off food and non-alcoholic beverages for the member uh, and his family, and then have access to a community of clubs, uh, like in Dallas with 13 private clubs there for our members to be able to move around and use those clubs 
and then our world benefit where they can use great clubs like Firestone, Mission Hills, Indian Wells, play twice, you know, play two times a month, pay cart fee only golf. Right. Uh, and, and one is much, much, much bigger. I could spend 45 minutes talking about <laughs> one, but all of those things combined are, are you know, resulting in the record results uh, that we continue to show. Excellent. So you, of course, are in business development. You're looking to acquire properties. What metrics are you taking a look at when you're considering a club to acquire? Well, the first thing we look at, obviously, is the market depth. And we've got very sophisticated uh, technology that we use to help us really dive in, do a, a real deep dive, not only into income levels, but who are the people that live inside these houses? What's the, what's the, what's the makeup? Right. Uh, and that helps us understand the market. So we obviously, we, we like to see strong demographics and what we call mosaics. The second thing we look for is really revenues. Uh, for us to be able to have a meaningful impact in these clubs, we really need to find clubs that are doing at least $4 million a year in revenue, but with the addition of 50 to 100 members over a five-year period of time, we have the ability to grow that to, you know, that $4 million of revenue to $5.5 million of revenue, and that's a game changer for everybody. Members like it because we make significant commitments to reinvent these clubs financially, and they like it because the levels of activities pick up, you know, you don't go into dining rooms anymore and see empty tables, and you'd look just kind all the way across and all you see is windows you see active um, you know people you, you know members utilizing the club more members to participate in golf tournaments it's just a much more fun energetic environment than uh, it would otherwise be if we weren't reinventing these clubs so we're looking for um, uh, you know we're looking for clubs with strong revenues and ones that we can uh, revenues that we can grow right any particular areas of the country or even the world that you're focusing on that you'd really like to explore the markets? Well, we're really focused uh, domestically uh, and not surprisingly in the major metropolitan markets around the country. Although, having said that, we just acquired a club, Santa Rosa Golf and Country Club up in Santa Rosa, California, which is a very small market, but uh, found a little needle in a haystack up there and uh, we just acquired it back in uh, back in March. But conversely, here in Chicago, we acquired two clubs in Chicago last January, Rolling Green Country Club and Arlington Heights and Ravinia Green in um, in Riverwoods, both of which are doing really, really well. And uh, so the major metropolitan markets obviously are a key focus as well. Absolutely. So you're traveling on the road constantly, most likely looking at all these the clubs. Yeah. All the time. All the time. What's that like? Do you ever uh, wake up in a hotel room or a, a club and forget where you were? I, well, I haven't yet. Okay. I haven't yet. And I'm having too much fun, I think. I've oh, never okay. had as much fun doing what I'm doing in my entire business career as I am really? right now. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it, the Club Corp sort is such an amazing story to tell. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, tell uh, us a little bit about it. Well, I mean, the company has, you know, was founded by Robert Dedman and, uh, back in 1957, and he literally pioneered on a for-profit basis what historically has been a not-for-profit industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert died in 2003, and his heirs sold the company to KSL Capital Partners at the beginning of uh, 2007. 
and KSL was a terrific owner for Club Corp. And they helped take Club Corp to a whole new level uh, with different disciplines, but they were very bullish on releasing uh, and investing capital in these clubs for reinvention and growth. That was good for KSL and it was good for our members. Uh, and I think I can tell you with confidence that as a public company now, we went public in September 2013, I think our members today are in a better place than they've ever been in the roughly 58-year history of Club Corp. We've got a great leadership team, senior leadership team. We're very passionate about the business that we're in. And, uh, you know, we continue, just like everybody else in this room at this conference, to work very, very hard to deliver uh, member experiences that are, you know, equal to or greater than what they expect. And, uh, you know, if you look at the financial results, I like to say you don't have revenue growth, you don't have member growth, and you don't have EBITDA growth if you're not doing all of that. And uh, so I think we're, you know, we're, we definitely continue to fire on all eight, uh, all eight cylinders. Clearly room for improvement. We know that and we're, we're working on it. All right. One last question for you. Incoming chairman, Ted Ben, uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, history together. Oh, great history. Uh, Ted's a terrific guy. I consider him one of my best friends. Uh, we completed a number of of, uh, transactions together at Club Corp. He's a really, really, really good lawyer. But I think one of the things that was interesting about Ted's career, when he came on board at Club Corp as Associate General Counsel, we had a management in training program, and Ted was able to go through that program. So Ted got a dose of our business through the eyes of an on-site club employee, where he literally spent um, gosh, I bet he spent two months uh, and performed just about every task that you could perform in a private club. And that really, I think, helped Ted and helped me in our working relationship as we worked on deals together because Ted not only understood the legal implications, but he really understood our business and the business implications. And so I think it, um, it, it gave Ted a, a bit of a competitive advantage because he did understand it. And I like to say, you know, Ted is a, is a deal maker's lawyer. He wants to find a way to get a deal done. Um, and I think in his, his new role with NCA, he'll be terrific. He's an extremely bright guy. He's got a wonderful family. Uh, and he is um, uh, a very, very accomplished lawyer with great leadership skills. And I think he'll be a, uh, I think he'll uh, do great in his role with the uh, with the NCA. We're all very lucky to have him. Sounds like that background will serve him well. Yeah, I know it'll serve him very well. He Ted gets it. Excellent. Yeah. Well, best of luck to you, Tom. Enjoy the Thank rest you. of the conference. Thanks so much for joining you me. You got it. Glad to be here. Thanks, Gabe. And my last guest for today is Jim Hankowski. He's the partner at Condon, O'Meara, McGinty, and Donnelly. They're a strategic alliance partner of the National Club Association. It's because of the support of their company and others like theirs that this conference was made possible. Here's that interview. Well, I'm joined by Jim Hankowski. He is a partner at Condon, O'Meara, McGinty, and Donnelly. And uh, his firm has been a longtime sponsor of the National Club Association. Can you tell us a little bit about that relationship? That's right. So we have been a strategic partner, strategic alliance partner, I think, for five or six years now. And, uh, you know, we see the vital importance of the uh, National Club Association annual conference aligns with the education it provides, how important that is to 
uh, a lot of our mutual clients. I know typically uh, when when I go out to, to my clients, if, if they're not involved at all in National Club Association, I try to encourage that relationship, you know, just based on events like this that we're having here today. I mean, just, you know, as we go through this I, each year, I always mark my calendar to make sure this is, this is a must for, for me personally to get to each year, just based on, you know, as we've gone through all the education uh, today and just the learning experience alone and all the different things that you take out of this uh, this annual conference are just just tremendous. Absolutely. So let's uh, talk about your firm a little bit. What activities is your firm engaged in with private clubs? Okay, so we're a, uh, a, a CPA accounting firm uh, based in, in New York City. Uh, we have uh, provided accounting and auditing services for about just over 300, approximately 325 private clubs. Uh, so... We feel that that benefit, uh, our, our niche there, uh, you know, and a lot of the message that was given out today was, you know, operating your club is more as a business. So who better to do operate your club as a business or to work with as a partner than your, your accountants and your CPAs? So in that regard, you know, we're able to provide a lot of benchmarking information, a lot of statistical information. And, you know, I have seven other partners and, you know, there's probably a combined experience there of over 250, 300 years of, of knowledge. So that knowledge alone that we bring to the table for all of our clients is, uh, you know, very, very, uh, very worthwhile. So um, in that regard, uh, you know, there's probably no other firm in the country uh, that can bring that, that sort of knowledge and information to, to the clients or, you know, the club clientele. So we, tell me a little bit about the services. Are you coming in as sort of a CFO? Are you doing the bookkeeping? What kind of things are your no, firm engaged we, in? We basically provide uh, auditing and tax services. Uh, but, you know, any accounting firm could probably provide the same thing. But what we do is because we, we have this niche in the, in the private club industry, we could talk to other things that happen operationally, well, you know, and help club managers specifically, help anybody in this room, board members, and, and just talk about different operational aspects that, you know, an accountant can come and count your cash and tell you how much cash you have in the bank. But we work beyond that. We can do other things besides just talking about your balance sheet and your financial information. Um, you know, whether it comes to, you know, help with your strategic plan or, uh, you know, any type of tax planning that goes involved, you know, we'll, we'll be there as a partner. Perfect. And so if folks want to engage with your firm, how do they go about that? Well, that's simple. I mean, we, we have a website, obviously. Uh, we have clients through 14 states throughout the United States. Uh, we are, you know, willing to travel, uh, but they can take a look at our website uh, at uh, comdcpa.com and uh, contact us through either there or, uh, you know, just give us a call in our office. All the information is there. Perfect. I'm just going to say that one more time. C-O-M-D-C-P-A dot com. Jim, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Well, if you hung with me through the entire episode, thank you so much. And I hope you got a lot out of the conference. And like I said earlier in the program, I really hope you consider joining the National Club Association as a member, and of course, attending the conference next year in 2017. Now, don't forget, you can vote for some upcoming episode topics by going to privateclubradio.com vote. And you can register for the Marketing to Millennials webinar by visiting privateclubradio.com millennials. Until next week, here's to your membership success.
Just because this round is over doesn't mean you can't enjoy the 19th hole. Check out privateclubradio.com for more. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Shake Creative, the premier marketing and design firm helping prestigious clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit shaketampa.com to learn more.